goodbye. This was definitely not said afterwards and then cut in to sound like I said it right away and didn't space out. Welcome, Realm Walkers. My name is Carlin. I'm going to be your host tonight, and I am joined by my two fellow hosts, Bryce. Hello. And Greg. Yo, what's poppin'? <laughs> uh, many things. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, well, I guess I should do it in proper order. Greg, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. School's a lot of, a lot of work, but uh, I'm always making some time to get some lore done for Age of Sigmar, because we got some good shit today. We really do. Uh, Bryce, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. Feeling a bit rough today, but I'm excited about the topic we're covering. So. Yeah, I gather, uh, Greg, you're feeling a little rough. Someone was hitting the warp stone a little hard last night. Okay, you want to know what? There was no crushing up and snorting of anything happening last <laughs> night. That's right. We injected the warp stone right into our veins. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> go home. Or go hard or go home. Skaven motto. And then we take your home. Oh, oh man. wow. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to hop on that bandwagon. One second. <laughs> oh, God, he's huffing you. There, I feel better now. All right. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, this is going to be what we hope to be a shorter format episode. We're aiming to uh, interject smaller episodes, just one for uh, general, like, smaller things, things that aren't full-on novels, and, like, maybe potentially battle tomes in the future we'll see, and then short story collections, because we want to be able to hit those as well. But they don't need an hour and a lo bit long episode, so we want to hit something shorter. So today, we are covering the Realm of Fire, also known as Akshi. And we think it'll be a great episode to start this. It will be slightly longer than what we hope the other shorter format episodes end up being, just because we're going to be covering some of the content in this Soulbound RPG as well, because they have some amazing content on the Realm of Akshi. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So I'm going to give a light explanation of Akshi. So anyone who's listened in the prior episode, uh, you don't need to listen to that to understand this, but if you have listened, you know the Realm of Akshi is a very very dark miserable place but that was at the point in the age of chaos actually isn't always like that it is always a realm of passion and kind of volatile emotions but there is beauty to it it is very much a place of fire magma and that but it's also a place where metal gets forged and beautiful constructions are able to be made actually is also known as a bright realm to the people because of the sheer amount of light from all the fire. Uh, there is a lot of culture there. People are able to survive, even though you think burning crazy people couldn't there. There is thriving cities and a whole culture in Akshi. There is water in Akshi, even though it probably evaporates and lakes are much smaller than in regular realms, but there is different types of weather. It's just, in general, way warmer than other realms. And I really like the philosophy of the Akshian people. This philosophy is to burn brightly and well. Life is to be lived fast, hard, and violently. Which means, essentially, life is going to be short there, so they want you to live it to its fullest in a very short amount of time. 
They have coming of age rituals such as like cliff diving and uh, sulfur running and a whole bunch of other things, which may kill the people who are doing them, but it is all part of that whole burn brightly and well motto philosophy. So what you're saying is their cultural motto is YOLO. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Yeah. So essentially YOLO is their whole life philosophy. And that is the realm of Akshi. People are trying, you know, to live life to its fullest because it may be short, especially when the ages of chaos happen, then everything became a lot more short and a lot more Bernie. (laughs) And speaking of which, Greg, mind uh, breaking down history for us? All right. So I'm going to be covering uh, a brief history of the land of Akshi, starting from the age of myth and going through to the age of chaos. So I'm taking my information from the core rulebook, as it's what I have read. Um, and the very first little story we see from the a, Age of Myth is known as the Duel of the Great Worms. So at the very dawn of the Age of Myth, the great solar drake Ignix, or Ignax, is fighting the father of serpents, the great Nagandra. They are battling each other for the domination of the heartlands of Akshay. And after a tremendous battle, Ignix... Does, or Ignax does come out on top, but he's weak and he's tired. And Grimnir, seeing that Ignix is exhausted, shackles him to the land of the Chained Sun, and that way his people will always have light and fire. Moving Pretty forward, cool. the next big event is after uh, Grimnir is freed by a Sigmar. So the next big event we see is known as the Rage of Grimnir. Grimnir, after being freed by Sigmar, not wanting to be indebted to the god, asks, what foe would you like me to slay? And it is decided that Grimnir will battle Volcatrix, the mother of Salamanders. The two of them battle, and it's a tremendous, ridiculous, like, realm-shattering battle, and a volcano is formed just from the uh, the embers of their destruction, of their mutual battle. And from this battle, Urgold, which is a very important resource, is spread across the uh, realm of Akshi. And it also cleanses the land of sort of the the foul dust that made it uninhabitable. And moving forward, this is when we finally see the sort of basis of society and civilization form uh, within the realm of Akshi. Sigmar sort of oversees for a little bit as people begin to uh, finally start to work together. Wars and rivalries are sort of put aside. Traders are moving around. Great cities are finally raised. And we finally see the name of two very important, very, very important uh, nations. They are the nation of Batar and the nation of Asteria, uh, Asperia. The nation of Batar uh, becomes this powerful merchant civilization. And Asperia uh, becomes this very powerful nation of wizards. And there's also a huge amount of people and civilizations that exist beyond these two that are basically kind of left behind. They're still barbaric and warlike. For simplicity's sake, I'm just going to kind of, I'm not going to go through all of their names because there's so many names of different barbaric tribes. But for now, what you need to remember is Batar is the merchants, Asperias are the wizards, and this there is a group, a, a large swath of people that are kind of left behind still in the old ways of barbarism. And these people actually see at this point, Sigmar as this god of self, uh, sort of like uh, might and self-preservation. 
So as the sort of the, the stuff, or as nations and civilization starts to uh, grow, Batar and Asperia actually become sort of uh, like rivalry, but also beneficial to each other. As um, each one is driving the other nation to these amazing heights, advancing at incredible speed. And so as these civilizations begin to rise, the greatest currency and the most important currency in Akshi begins to, uh, or the great, most important resource in Akshi becomes water. It's very hard to get water in the realm of fire. So it becomes worth almost more than gold itself. So with water becoming this incredibly important trade uh, uh, resource, especially from Guyane, there is, uh, I believe they call, uh, the, the uh, water of Guyane is so super nourishing that they actually import it through the realm gate to bring to their farmers because it is that valuable. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Is there a problem? Guyran. You're saying Guyan. Guyran. You're right. It is Guyran. Yep. <clears throat> How dare you make fun of the realm of life? Nah, it's fine. You guys get to make fun of Sigmar. He messed up Guyran. Don't worry about repeating yourself. I just need to point that out. And I'm going to keep yeah. this in as a funny. Yeah, no, that's pretty funny. I like it. Okay, so it's Guy Ran. I apologize to everyone out there who is a Guy Ran stan. As we all know, I, I stan uh, the Warp Stone, so I can appreciate it. Anyway, so moving on. So this this water becomes this incredibly valuable resource. Trade is booming. The wizards are, you know, they're learning new magics, creating these amazing works of art. And so Batar decides it wants to build a literal floating city for its traders to help facilitate the movement of all of these goods. And um, Asperia actually assists Batar by uh, enchanting their ships with the ability to fly so they can trade even farther beyond just coasts. And so, like, everything is just going wonderfully over there. The, the cities, cities are booming. Civilization is going fantastically. And then things start to get a little... Uh, uh, a little bit problematic for the people of uh, Akshi. So it's at this point that we see uh, a bunch of Uruk warbands start to move into Akshi. Uh, they're looking for just places to fight, and they're sort of fighting with these barbarian tribes. And so now the bar the orcs are kind of dealing with all these people that are sort of from this nation of barbarians. The barbarians are fighting back. And at this point, Asperia and Batan just kind of look down and they say, um, it's not our problem. Out there, they can war and battle amongst themselves. It does not affect uh, us within our walls. And this attitude is what is eventually going to lead to the downfall of Akshi. Because while these people, or while, while Batar and Asperia believe themselves to be untouchable because of the warring in between these clans of savages as they see them they don't see that there are people beginning to work to kind of bring these savages and barbarians together and now we see a very important event and this is what leads to the downfall and it is known as the red feast basically a bunch of the different warlords and these war bands sort of come together and they want to end this tribal war so they send their champions to sort of battle it out on one of Akshi's Isles. However, one of them, Skullbrand, does sort of have an ulterior motive and knows and, and in doing so. And while this battle, which is known as the Red Feasting, we will be 
again, we will see the first introduction, the mighty Lord Corgus Cull, as he fights his way and sort of becomes the top fighter in this giant bloodbath of barbarian tribes. And I'm going to read this next part out verbatim because it's very, very interesting. When the death toll rises to 888 barbarian champions, the air screams, the bloodied water boils, and a great cataclysm erupts. So catastrophic is the maelstrom of blood and death that the realm gate at the center of Akshi's Clavis Isles explodes, leaving a gaping hole in reality through which the legions of howling demons emerge. And it is from this Akshi is invaded by the legions of the Chaos Gods. That is a huge moment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very important. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time the demons made it through into the mortal realms. Or am I wrong about that? Uh, it's definitely one of the opening points. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the first invasion. Yeah, the thing about kind of some of the invasions that happen in mortal realms, like between the different realms... A lot of them kind of happen in very close time, so it's, I don't think there's a specific time frame of which one's first, but uh, based on the order of how it's done in the core rulebook and such, we can say it's the first one, but I think like certain realms and such were all invaded at the same time, but, you know, it's kind of within a hundred years, I guess you could say. Yeah. I believe the book mentioned that Torn's invasion was the first one. Okay, if there's a mention, I must have missed it, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so this this is the moment when uh, this moment, or at least in this series of moments, this is when the Age of Chaos begins. Corn and all of the Chaos Gods, in fact, invade Akshi. Uh, however, Corn, who has a particular interest in claiming Akshi for his own, sends forth the greatest number of of warriors or of demons. And at this point, we finally are introduced to the Gore Tide. Uh, we mentioned them briefly, I believe, in the last part. But Corgus Cull mm-hmm. forms a group of warriors. It is the largest group of, sort of the largest warband of these barbarians that is still around. Uh, and it is known as the Gore Tide. And Corgus Cull builds this by basically walking up to anybody he conquers and going, you can die now, or you can feast upon the blood and the, the meat of the fallen and join us in our ever-growing conquest of this plane. At this point, tons of people begin to just take that option. They, they, they are afraid to die, so they join with him. They don't fully understand what is happening yet. And tons of people begin to fall and join this rising tide of barbaric warriors. And... Uh, I need to correct you, Greg. Yeah. Corgus Call said cannibalism or death. Get ah. it right. Cannibalism or death. Cannibalism or death. All right. I. Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that he said it in a much, a, many different ways. Cannibalism or death. Eatus or yeetus. Things like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eatus or yeetus. <laughs> oh my. <sighs> that was good. And, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, Batar and Aspiria are absolutely horrified at what's going on and again they choose not to intervene they just close their gates and go it's not our problem and between the two nations the first to fall is batar although these events do happen similarly at least first in the book just for clarification they might have happened at different times but the book does put batar first batar is is it's closed itself off however 
Nurgle, uh, seeing that Batar is this basically this lifeblood of important uh, resources with water, decides to send this massive plague fleet to just decimate um, Batar. In a week-long battle, their navy and the city is just destroyed. And the the kegs of water, or the barrels of water, are washing up amongst all of the shores across the entire land uh, for weeks afterwards. It was that There was that much destruction. All I heard was keg. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, so these these the, the these kegs of Nurgle's brew <laughs> wash up everywhere, and of course they have now been tainted by Nurgle. But people not realizing that this water has been tainted, simply seeing water as a lifeblood and a necessity, take it in and they start drinking it, and now disease is rampant across Akshi. Meanwhile, at this point, Cull has taken in a massive land for himself. He's just like his Argortide has swathed across the land. He had this massive space for themselves that they have claimed and conquered. And Corgus Cull begins to create his red pyramid. And if we recall, this is the structure made out of millions and millions of bones, uh, or specifically skulls that he has taken and claimed for himself. Mm-hmm. And um, Aspiria, Aspiria is not faring much better than Batar was. The the uh, the mages or the scions of Zinch have specifically targeted Aspiria, and the two of them, the battling is so intense that the land itself begins to literally crumble away, being diminished and eroded by Chaos's touch and this battle that is just going on. And while they seem to be evenly matched, a legion of corn appears basically on the other side of their territory and uh, Aspiria realizing they have absolutely no chance against this army of Zinch and this army of corn retreat to their inner cities lock the doors throw up magical wards and just hope for the best again just retreating when they when they could have been invading or fighting back because at this point they have uh, neglected the responsibility of being this powerful nation and taking responsibility for actually that they have just let corn and Zinch and Nurgle and all them completely destroy their plane and it begins once they close themselves in what is known as the red century and at this point a hundred years of war grinding attrition between the few remaining forces that believe in sigmar and believe in order and these legions of barbarians and demons uh ensues the the land becomes just choked with blood and gore so much so that like that um Plants can't grow anymore. Water becomes completely just uh, choked with blood. You can't drink it anymore. And the heroes, the heroes and the warriors of Akshi just start beginning to vanish in the middle of war. Uh, There's a flash of light and their warriors are gone, which, of course, we now know was Sigmar grabbing them before um, before their death so he could make them into the Stormcast. However, these desperate people, they're, they're so desperate, they basically either just let themselves be conquered or are no force to being conquered. And many just go resort to cannibalism as it's the only source of food that is left. And, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's so bad for everybody that we even see a little mention here. The orcs themselves, you know, they couldn't help. They couldn't do anything. They were pushed back into their own little canyon that they had claimed and actually and were praying to Mork 
for for safe for, for safe passage out of Akshi. It was that bad. <laughs> that says something right there. There was one last hope. There is a weapon known as the Prismaticon. And it is a weapon that is so powerful that it was able to destroy an entire host of corn demons in one strike. And it is located upon a floating island, seemingly safe. However, corn realizing that these people are not really engaging in interesting or, or, or great combat. They're just hiding on their island, shooting down this magical beam, takes personal offense to this, or personal exception, and manifests a giant fist and slams the island out of the sky. And <laughs> when that island hits Good. the ground and is destroyed, that is it. There is no more saving Akshi at this point. Chaos has won. And it is mentioned that the the Lords of Chaos had done such a good job that the minions of Corn were now forced to stride far and wide to even find anybody to fight anymore. And without anybody to fight, they simply engage in bloodlust and battle upon themselves. And actually has been completely conquered at this point. And that leads us into the Age of Sigmar. Yeah, that's, you no. Know, we touched on a bit of the history when we covered kind of the ages of myth and chaos. But having the specific history of the realm, oh, there's some good stuff there. Like, it's fascinating. But just seeing how everything fell apart, especially, like, how hubris placed such a part in the realm uh, falling. It, it's hubris and, like, ignorance and refusal to take responsibility. It is, it is not, it's the not my problem kind of mindset issue here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If, 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 if Asperia and Batar had stepped in at any point to try to save these uh, individuals instead of just focusing on their own gains uh, and desires, that there was a chance that they, uh, that this never would have happened. But it was so many times they said, I'm not interested. I don't care. It's not my problem that they just let themselves be completely overrun. A hundred percent. It's incredible kind of seeing how essentially corn had the perfect gateway to get into the realm uh because of all this whole not my problem thing you know if people had united and got together they might have been able to push them back at least a little bit but because they didn't and because they were like oh not my problem corn is like haha i'm gonna kill you yep yeah and the whole uh, giant fist in the sky to knock down the flying city or the uh that part uh, i believe that is one of the few times that we've seen a chaos god actually manifest itself. Yeah, he was not happy about that one. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I love it. Um, Bryce, since you have the Soulbound content available, would you mind running us through some of what Soulbound kind of adds to the realm? Like, what it tells us and how it kind of defines the realm a little bit more. Yeah, so with the Soulbound book, um, because it's one of the more, it's one of the bigger volumes of, you know, current Age of Sigmar lore, it really helps us get a view of what the realm itself kind of looks like currently. Um, it did come with a map of the Great Parch, which is kind of like the main civilized area of the realm. Because again, once you get towards the edge of the realm, it just kind of turns to pure magic stuff. So you can't exactly civilize literal burning fields. I know this is Warhammer, but I don't think I've seen anybody actually do that yet. Yet. Yeah, yet. 
It, it is Warhammer, so I'm not going to rule it out 100%. There's still time. <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they can have warp stuff. Goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, the realm itself is kind of known as the Splintered Realm currently because of just all of the events that have happened and just the nature of the realm is literally causing the car- continents and lands of Akshi to kind of split up. Um, there's two kind of prevailing theories for this right now. You have kind of like Sigmar followers thinking that, you know, after this great battle in the Age of Myth, that Sigmars might cause the realms to start fracturing. And then the other main belief is from the Fire Slayers who think that the battle between uh, Grimnir and Volcatrix has been slowly causing the lands to kind of crack and sunder because of that massive battle in the past. But going to the Age of Sigmar um, now, Archie is probably the realm with the most presence of Sigmar followers or just followers of order. This is partially because of just such the heavy concentration of chaos that was here that he just kind of needed to focus majority of his efforts here. This place is, you know, home to a ton of different um, fallen empires. Um, Greg kind of focused on uh, Batar and Aspiria uh, quite a bit with his mentions of the Age of Myth and the Age of Chaos, but a little bit more specific from Soulbound, you get a little bit of information about the Adlaraxi out of Aspiria. They were like a great mage uh, race, civilization, I guess I should say, that kind of fell. You had the Kells of Ekran, which were like these great warrior clans and stuff like that. And then uh, there's also a mention of the Vitrolian vassal kingdoms of Cinder, but I couldn't find very much information outside of that. Again, like Greg mentioned earlier, they're still prevalent now, but a lot of the survivors from the Age of Chaos ended up joining up with Torgus Kull and his Gortide, so that is still a major thing, even though it's hundreds of years after uh, the Age of Sigmar has kind of started in Akshi. So kind of getting like a more current view of specific areas of the realm. Um, Batar isn't completely, was never completely lost to chaos. Um, they got the crap kicked out of them, but there is still one major city called the Floating City. Um, it's kind of like the, the main source of sky commerce, and it's the main kind of source of power, uh, center of power for the Teradron in Achi. Okay, so the city did actually survive then. The yeah, book's yeah. a little unclear. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. It might just be, you know, different writers and stuff like that. No, no, no it's, it's, and again, it's, it's, I'm coming from the, 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 the book. You know, if anybody is worried that I made a mistake, I'm coming from the main book here in learning. So Bryce knows a lot more mm-hmm. than me. And yeah, the book doesn't quite explain. It says that the fleet is destroyed, which I, of course, assumed meant the city itself was destroyed, but it's nice to know that it survived. Yeah. So the city wasn't made out of the fleet. The city itself is like just a massive, I guess, I don't know, steampunk floating city. And they had multiple, like tons of these cities throughout Batar. But uh, like you said, they were basically just brought down by Nurgle being an asshole. 
I mean, a, a great loving grandfather. I'd say Nurgle's not an asshole. Here's my gift. My <laughs> gift is death. <laughs> and you know what? It's Nurgle, so that might not actually be a bad gift. <laughs> um, kind of going back to you know the people that do inhabit the lands uh, still. Um, there is a mention of these buccaneer lords uh, that sail across the boiling seas. They're kind of you know trying to gather as much force, as much strength underneath underneath them as they can, um, because they do want to you know get back to doing what buccaneers do. Outside of those two, the other like major kind of place of notice for a specific like faction is uh, Vastardi Mont, which. Uh, it looks like it's pretty central to the Great Parch. Uh, it's the home of the main home of the Fire Slayers, and I believe Greg mentioned earlier was actually the like final spot of fighting for that great fight between Grimnir and Volcatrix. But other than like you know those cities, we have seen the rise of a lot of cities of Sigmar in Achi. Like I said, this is kind of the main place of his power because of how much chaos was here. So we've seen uh, cities of Sigmar. Um, I guess this first one, not so much a city of Sigmar anymore. Anvilgard was one of them. We have Tempest Eye, which is kind of a major place for the elves in the realm. Um, Hollowheart which is home to the Hallowed Knights Stormhost. Bright Spear, which is actually um, a reclaimed city out of Asperia. It's also, I believe, the newest city of Sigmar. Actually, it's, I believe it's still in like its uh, infancy steps of becoming like an actual city of Sigmar, but it functions enough to be named one. And then the biggest and kind of greatest of the... Cities of Sigmar in the Great Parch is Hammerhall Aksha. It's called Hammerhall Aksha because it actually has the biggest realm gate in in Aksha, I believe, that goes straight to Gairan. So on the opposite side of this realm gate is the other half of Hammerhall, which is called Hammerhall Gaira. And these two parts of the city give it its name, um, the Twin-Tailed City. Uh, again, this is kind of like the biggest, greatest city in, I believe, both these realms, now that I think of it. And they're just like absolute massive metropolises that, you know, there's these towering bastions throughout the cities and, you know, artillery batteries along pretty much every side of the city to protect it. You have these giant mobile cog forts that kind of roam around the city. They're like literal mobile bases that kind of just roll around and protect it so like this place is really the center of sigmar's efforts in this realm but outside of these cities like we've heard not everything is super terrible anymore like things are still bad this is still the realm of fire so it's not like you're going to be seeing you know, great plains of grass everywhere and stuff like that. There, the land has been kind of reclaimed. It's kind of morbid using the blood of, like, I'm trying to remember the name. I want to say zealots, but it's not the name. Uh, Flagellants. <laughs> but yeah, they kind of use the blood of Sigmar's followers to cleanse the land. So everything's not so 
chaos ridden anymore and like the lands are hospitable to a degree um you can find actual like great plains of grass and stuff like that but that's probably where most of the, like the wildlife is going to be so they're not exactly the safest places to be because of the wildlife and you know roaming warbands and stuff like that are still very much an issue but these dangers don't stop the followers of sigmar and the followers of other gods and stuff like that from braving these dangers to try and find the secrets and you know lost treasures of these ancient empires that litter the realm like they're everywhere like uh grade was saying they lit chaos had to literally go to the edges of habitable habitable realm to find you know opponents to fight so like they've literally exhausted they literally annihilate annihilated majority of civilization corby going door to door me like have you heard the good word of corn no here it is they just stab him <laughs> <laughs> well it is the word of corn after all no, not a lot of words that word is ah <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of really focused on, you know, the forces of order, followers of Sigmar there, but Chaos still very much has a foothold in these lands like I've kind of mentioned. Again, Cordiscool Cull and his Gortide are very much an issue. They still harass cities and, you know, they still harass and just straight up kill armies that are, you know, traveling between places. They're just still looking for a fight like Corn followers like to. They still have the issue of the Slaneshi Podenant, Havoc Wild, or also known as the Headsman of Thern. Um, this is kind of like a major lord of Slanesh that just goes around murdering and killing and doing what Slanesh do. The book says, from the crackling coast to the riven depths. So kind of looking on this, it's more to like the central middle areas of Achi are just terrorized by this Slaneshi follower that's just trying to, you know, make his missing god happy. Another kind of central focus for Chaos is still in Asperia, um, with like like uh Greg was mentioning all those mage civilizations and stuff like that. Once they were gone some of their secrets still were around. So once the cities or once the forces of Sigmar started, you know, getting back into these areas, they were able to start, you know, reclaiming some of these lost magics and techniques and trinkets and stuff like that. And because of this, Zinch still is sending his forces in there. And, you know, there's just followers of Zinch trying to make him happy by finding these magics for him or finding these trinkets for him or just straight up killing the forces of order that find them. Yeah. Currently there is actually a lot of clashes between the forces of bright spear and the forces of Zinch underneath them, because like you were mentioning earlier when one of the final uh, places of kind of survivors in Asperia kind of trapped themselves in and blocked themselves out with magic. Bright Spear was one of these cities before it fell. Or sorry, uh, it was one of these cities before it was reclaimed, I should say. 
And because they had kind of trapped themselves in, they had just dug and made these huge, like, webs of city underground. So a lot of Zinch forces and stuff like that are actually still in these lower parts of the city, and the forces of order are actually still trying to reclaim those from um, that that's, like, trapped down there now. It's, like, a very slow kind of they're they're slowly winning but again it's taking a toll on them and the city still isn't quite safe because of it the battle of attrition mm-hmm. and then um like i was saying earlier you can kind of not everything is super fire in the realm and that kind of is shown where the staven kind of reside in the realm because they've kind of focused themselves in what's called the snow peaks which is Actually, the mountains of the northern part of uh, the Great Perch. But again, the Staven can never really be held to one part of, you know, any sort of realm. So while they are mostly focused there, they are they can be found throughout the entire realm and not in small numbers either. <laughs> if there is one Skaven, there will soon be many. <laughs> yes. Outside of the forces of chaos, there still are threats. The orcs are back. They're not praying to Dork or Mork anymore to get the hell out of here. They are wanting the fuck out. Wow. And um, alongside them in the destruction faction, there's a no- noted Odor, actually, a fire, bear- a fire belly um, called the Ashfoot who apparently is hunting out the father of all Magma Droths, who does not have a name, apparently, or at least one that I could find. However, the orders on this, you know, quest to find the father of all Magma Droths isn't going to ignore food when it presents itself in the form of, you know, a traveling warband or an army or trader's route or something like that. The last kind of mention of people that you can find in Achi out of the Soulbound book are the Vampire Corsairs of the Dreaded Wraith Fleet, which I think is pretty cool. They're led by a vampire lord called Varkos Varaktir, who since the Necroquake during the Soul Wars, basically Nagash tried doing the giant ritual, David showed up, fucked things up, Nagash still managed to invert magic. And this caused a lot of like undead and stuff like that across the realms to kind of spring up. And this vampire lord has really been taking advantage of this kind of swell in death magic. I really do like his main method of attacking, though, which consists of actually attacking cities hundreds of miles inland with his spectral fleets. So not only can he wage war on you from the oceans, he can just fly his boats inland and rain just, you know, destruction on you. <laughs> with the mention of Varkos, that's kind of the last little bit of interesting stuff that you get out of the Soulbound book. Nice. That is a good amount of content that they added to actually with the Soulbound book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, especially considering how important it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, it really, like, with the Soulbound book, like I said, they put out a map of the Great Parch, and anybody who's listening, I really, really suggest just giving it a quick Google 
because it will do a hundred times more for you to kind of understand what the realm looks like than we possibly can explain it. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Like it's really mm-hmm. kind of cool, and I do appreciate with more recent battle tomes that they've been adding maps. Like I know with Sons of Bay map they added a uh, Gur. I know with the Lumineth they've added Hish. So it seems like they're trying to make That's a point awesome. to make it more adding more physicality to realms rather than their kind of loose uh, maps that they had before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it almost seemed like they were trying to leave it kind of very much like up to the imagination and everything. But when you look at, like let's say, Dungeons & Dragons, even Dungeons & Dragons has maps. Now you can play fast and loose to them and add or take away from it. But mm-hmm. it's something that helps ground the adventure, and I think they are trying to do too much imagination of it, and now they're grounding a little bit more with Age of Sigmar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think with uh, I, I definitely think that the success of D and D has I think that they really decide to kind of cash in on Soulbound and you know try and do the do the story and lore right. Absolutely, perfect. Well, I think that's all of that. So really, really, my last question to you guys is, what have you been hobbying lately? Because no, these times are tough and. Hobbying's what gets us through. So, uh, Greg, what have you been hobbying, if anything? Because I know you've been busy with school. Well, um, so me and Bryce actually did a joint hobby recently. Uh, we got together and we painted, well, we based a bunch of his Stormcast that he had left over to finish up his mm-hmm. army. Uh, well, I can't remember what the models were, though. They were the ones with the sword and the spear. I don't remember what they're called. Was it? No, it was my, my Evocators. I had 12 Evocators. Stormcast, oh, dude. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're the yeah. really cool ones that do really cool things on the tabletop. So every Stormcast to you? I mean, I'm not going to call out any Stormcast, but, you know, I definitely appreciate some more than others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my favorite model is apparently the worst one, the Castigators. <laughs> they look like they have crossbow guns. Turns out they suck. That makes me sad. They but... don't suck. I just... I don't like them as much as I like Judicators. Fair enough. Uh, so we did uh, we did a bunch of that. And uh, at the same time, I have... I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I am currently kit-bashing a bunch of Beasts of Nurgle. I, I really... I needed a bunch, and I'm not a huge fan of the Games Workshop sculpt. And so I've been digging through my box of bits. And I made... Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that I made two last week that are done and painted, although I'm going to go back and add a little bit more goop because I bought some of the goop technical. Uh, Nurgle's Rot, and I made two more uh, at uh, when we were hanging out. One kind of has sort of a T-Rex look to him, and the other one is literally a pile of what was left stacked to look like a slime <laughs> monster. So, yep, that's everything. And as always, uh, those three Crisis suits are uh, not painted, but I do have uh, you know, I finally got the uh, Blood Angels red, so now I'm going to have to come up with another excuse for why I don't do uh, it every week. Do it. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Bryce, well, yes. you were working with Greg, obviously, but was there anything else you've been hobbying lately? Um, not too much. Um, like, I was, like Greg said, uh, we got together and did some painting. He helped me get uh, some base colors put onto my evocators, and with that, I have a bit more motivation. So, you know, hopefully next time we're recording, I can tell you how I put my Mephiston Red on it. Whoa. <laughs> Nice. No, I'm I'm hoping to get some of them finished up within the next week now that I have kind of the majority of the process done. Nice, it's awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't necessarily done too much in the way of hopping this week, just because this week was exam week for me, so I've been pretty busy. Um, while we were recording, I was cleaning up some resin from the Artel Iron Rider model. Nice. This model is fucking epic in every single way. Um, I can't wait to paint it. The, I painted two smaller Artel models, and they were an absolute joy to paint. Mm-hmm. And I've been waiting for these guys for a little while, so I'm going to enjoy it. Just because Artel makes everything to order. So I ordered back, what, end of November, I think. And I just got them a week ago. So huh. they take a while, but the quality of resin here. I was saying to Greg before we recorded, mm-hmm. Forge Rule, pay attention to these guys. They're doing resin properly. There's not a crazy amount of gaps. This stuff is already pre-washed before I get it. I'm just cleaning off resin bits more so than anything else. Things from the protruders. That's it. Like this stuff goes together beautifully. There's no cracks, no crazy needing to green stuff, everything. You glue it. It's done. That's it. No washing, no scrubbing, no filling in all the gaps. This stuff is beautiful. Forge will step up your game because these other companies are doing an amazing job. And I like some of your models, but you need to step it up, especially at your price point. Follow David Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, this is beautiful. Um, I am on reading break, so I'm going to be working a little bit more, but at the same time, I'm going to have a way more free time. I am planning to hobby like nothing else because um, I really want to get gas done. I have a whole bunch of other models I want to get done. I'm planning to experiment a little bit because I have some... Um... Oh, why am I forgetting her name? Skeleton Dudes. Ozark Bone Reaper models that I mm-hmm. I got like just a couple of the heroes. So I want to play around in a scheme with them. I'm thinking I have this really vibrant green. I want to play like with that with blacks and see how that goes. Um and yeah, and I started reading the uh first of the like old world uh Godric and Felix books this weekend, and so far I've been loving it. Godric is the man. Yeah, I've really been wanting to get into those since yeah. uh I've I mean, before I bought the model, I bought the model because I wanted to get into the books, and I had been reading a little bit about them. But yeah, well, Realm Slayer is an amazing <laughs> book. You don't need to read the books beforehand. That said, no, Realm Slayer because cool. it's essentially new canon with AOS. The other books technically lead up to it, but it starts off kind of new. It, more or less, okay. as long as you have a basic knowledge of some of the characters, like Godric, Felix, and Felix doesn't appear. Godric makes very clear he's looking for a manling, so. They explain who he is, but if you know who Felix is, it's like, oh, okay. But yeah. Okay. Cool, yeah, so cool. Realm Slayer is a book on its own, and then it continues on with Ghoul Slayer and the upcoming Git Slayer, which I'm super excited for. Boy, yeah. those poor Gits. Those poor, poor Gits. <laughs> poor, poor Gits, indeed. But don't worry. When we cover the book Gloom Spite, you're not going to be saying poor, poor Gits. No, In fact, I you're going to be like, oh, God, Gits. I don't even know why I said it now. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to getting to some of those horror novels, because they are juicy. Hmm. And Bryce will be cringing every moment. Uh, I don't think it'll be that bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for listening to Realm Walkers. And by joining us today, you are Realm Walkers too. Please like and follow us on Facebook, where we have lore and hobby discussions with you. Please give us a feedback on Facebook or through our email at realmwalkers, plural, AOS at gmail.com. You can also find a link to our email on our Facebook page. We look forward to having you join us next time as we dive into the next book of the Realmgate Wars, Born by the Storm. Yeah. It's going to be epic. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Uh, talk to you later, guys, and see you then. Goodbye. Have a good one.